0: Your host Aspen Ruin. Aspen uses they them pronouns and is our client and community advocate. Welcome, everyone. Um, my name's Abby Stropebench. Bench. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm the director of community engagement at Mabel Wadsworth Center. I just want to say thank you for joining us today. Um, We're here to mark the first anniversary of Roe v. Wade since it was overturned by the Supreme Court. And while we don't typically hold events on Sundays, we we thought it was important to bring people together on this anniversary. Last year, 42 independent clinics were forced to close. There There are now 14 states without an abortion provider. Millions of people no longer have access to abortion in their communities or in their state. And in the first two months following the Dobbs decision, which is the decision that overturned Roe, over 10,000 people could not access the abortion that they needed. And this is truly devastating. And what we also know is Roe was never enough. And even with the protections of Roe, one in four people with Medicaid insurance who needed abortion care were forced to continue pregnancies. 87% of counties in the U.S. did not have abortion providers. People faced waiting periods to access care. Therefore, providers were forced to give misinformation to patients. Young people need parental consent, and the list goes on. These are restrictions that remain as well. Um, And they put abortion out of risk out of reach and the right to bodily autonomy out of reach for many, many people disproportionately impacting Black, Indigenous, people of color, poor folks, and young folks. And for over a decade, Mabel Wadsworth Center has been honoring the Roe anniversary by hosting educational events that highlight the limitations of Roe, that work to reduce stigma around abortion, and honor people on the front lines of the abortion freedom movement, reproductive freedom movement. And we're keeping with that tradition today because while the landscape of abortion rights and access has drastically changed, our vision for the future remains the same, a future where all of us can access the healthcare we need in the communities that we live in by providers that we choose and trust, and abortion is healthcare. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Hannah, for being here with us. And I'll pass it over to Aspen, who will then take over facilitating.
1: Thank you abby um i'm aspen i use they them pronouns i am the community engagement coordinator at mabel wadsworth center for anyone who's not familiar with me and for anyone who's not familiar with mabel's i am going to talk a bit about us before i do that we did have folks who were curious about hannah matthew's shirt which if you want to show it off again uh is very cool it has like a little valentine's heart and says i'll always help you get abortions um that benefits i need an A.com, which is a resource for finding abortion access and in the chat there is now a link to be able to get that additionally uh so bonfire is basically nonprofits can put designs on there that if you buy a shirt with it hey You benefited that org. Um, There's also a link to a new Mabel Wadsworth Center shirt that says abortion is normal, which um, I am buying one after this is over today because it is on my list of things. Um, But I figured I'd share those really quick for folks who uh, were interested. so for folks who aren't familiar with Mabel Wadsworth Center, we are located in Bangor, right off of Mount Hope. Um, if you want to get really specific, like if you're like, oh, my gosh, I need care and Google Maps hates me. Uh, if you know where the Humane Society is in Bangor, we are across the street from that um, in a spot called Evergreen Woods. What's really nice about our location is that it's really private. Um so folks don't have to worry about being harassed when they are getting care with us. Uh, and there are a lot of other health care offices down that way as well. So there is privacy. Uh, Mabel Wadser Center has been open since 1984, offering a spectrum of reproductive and sexual health care. Starting in 1994, we were able to start providing abortion care as well. Um, and over the years, our services have continued and continued and continued to expand to meet the needs of our community. Uh, We are really well known, not just for providing abortion care, which is a huge part of our work, and obviously a focus of today's discussion is abortion care, uh, but we also provide prenatal care, gender-affirming hormone therapy, STI testing and treatment, um, contraception, and even primary care now. So like I said, really working to meet the needs of our community um along with being a feminist sexual and reproductive health center we are also independent which when we're talking about abortion clinics that has really like two definitions um and we happen to fit both uh so the first definition of that is that we are as an abortion clinic not part of like a larger hospital or larger like the closest word I can think of is chain. So when it comes to abortion access, a lot of people think immediately of Planned Parenthood, who is really important. They provide care to a lot of folks across the country. But indie clinics like us are really essential and often don't get as much attention and subsequently as much funding. Uh The majority of abortion care in the US is provided by independent clinics, over half, um, particularly when we're looking at folks who are having abortion procedures um, versus medication abortion, though we offer both, as do most indie clinics. The other way that we are independent is that we do not accept federal or state funding. Um, A lot of people are really familiar with Title X funding, the family planning funding. Uh, You might particularly remember during the previous presidential administration, a lot of clinics essentially having that rug pulled out from them because that funding was pulled from them. Um, And that's the exact reason we at Mabel Lodger Center don't take that funding. Uh, There's often a lot of strings attached to it and the risk of, you know, relying on that funding to do the work we do and then suddenly losing it because of politics, essentially. Um, So while that means we don't have to worry about suddenly losing it without warning. It also means we have to get a little bit creative. Um, so, if you ever like see me or other folks with the indie clinics uh, talking about the importance of supporting independent clinics, that is a big part of why. Um, because as we have been shown with Roe being overturned, we really cannot necessarily trust uh, government resources to guarantee access to abortion um with that bit of background i do want to turn it over to hannah but before that i will give an introduction as soon as i find There it is, your bio. Um, So Hannah Matthews is a writer, abortion funder, and care worker, and doula based in Portland, Maine. Uh, Her work has been published in or is forthcoming from the New York Times, from Elle, Esquire, McSweeney's, Catapult, and numerous other publications. Uh, You may have seen we shared on our socials um, the article from Elle, which was fantastic. Uh, She has previously written for the Planned Parenthood Federation of America log uh hannah is represented by jade wong baxter of the francis golden literary agency and her debut book you or someone you love reflections of an abortion doula it's forthcoming from atria uh on may 2nd 2023 and you can pre-order that now uh her website which has more info on her and her work is hannah matthews.me um that's hannah matthews spelled like you can see um on her little box for folks who are just listening. If you are listening to the podcast right now, that is H-A-N-N-A-H-M-A-T-T-H-E-U-W-S. And with that, I will turn it over to you. Also really quick, uh, folks, feel free to pop questions in the chat throughout. A reminder to folks, particularly those just joining, that um, this is being recorded for our podcast, um, just so you know. And now for real, I'm turning it over to you.
2: Thank you so, so much, Aspen, so kind. That is a lot of things that I would feel very uncomfortable saying about myself. Um, So I really appreciate you. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm Hannah, Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I'm a cis white woman living on Abenaki land. Um, I am, feeling a lot of different things today. I think um, there's been a lot of language around today would have been the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, or today would be Rose's 50th birthday. And I feel pretty strongly that it is still. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Roe v. Wade gave us, I think it's really important to think about what it gave us and what it didn't give us and what we can imagine now that it's gone. Um, so I think Yeah, I mean, I'm not a legal expert. I'm not a political expert. Let's start there. Um, Certainly not a doctor. Uh, I'm a care worker. My place in the revolution is, you know, at a bedside in someone's bathroom, helping them while they're bleeding or if they're throwing up, Um, you know, it's in community and it's not necessarily at a microphone or on a podium and it's certainly not testifying before Congress. So, um, you know, I'm also not an expert on any abortion except my own. Um, So every abortion is different. The context in which it happens, the body in which it's happening, you know, the expertise on any particular abortion is, you know, that belongs to the person having the abortion. So what it means for their life, their family, their body, um, their culture, you know, they are the expert. So yeah, abortion is older than Roe v. Wade, right? So if we think back 50 years, we know that abortion stretches back as long as there have been humans. And it's older than the Supreme Court, it's older than this country, it's older than the Catholic Church. It's probably going to outlive all those institutions. You know, abortion will outlive every judge who sees fit to write an opinion on it. Um, Abortion will outlive every cop who questions someone or arrests someone. Um, Abortion will outlive every legislator who's trying to set limits on it or contain it. And that is kind of what Roe v. Wade did. It created this container, um, these judges, who I think we can probably, you know, picture them in our mind. I think we all know the sort of demographic that we're thinking of when we think of these justices and what they were writing and opining. Um, But so what they gave us is this framework of trimesters, right? So they are the ones who divided pregnancy into three trimesters. And the reason they did that, and the justice who wrote that opinion has since admitted that's pretty arbitrary. The reason they did that is to just give states you know, these, this power to set time limits on our pregnancies and to put our pregnancies into these containers in order to legislate them and criminalize, you know, things we were doing and pregnancy outcomes outside of the limits they were setting. So it, you know, when we talk about legality, Roe v. Wade gave us maybe legality in many circumstances, but Roe v. Wade didn't give us anything that didn't already belong to us. And I think what it did is kind of create this artificial container um, to try to contain something that is far bigger than the court and the states and, you know, even our healthcare system. And so now that it's gone, which comes with a lot of grief, because we know, you know, we know In many ways, we know firsthand, but also in terms of data, if you've ever read the Turnaway Study, we know what abortion bans and restrictions bring, and that's suffering and death and poor outcomes for families and, um, you know, especially violence toward those who are already vulnerable to violence. And so it comes with this tidal wave of grief of, you know, all this suffering that Roe didn't necessarily wholesale prevent, right? Rosie Jimenez died in 1977, um, you know, under while Roe was the law of the land. And so it's not that people weren't suffering and dying um due to lack of access to abortion care. Um and it's not that, you know, poor folks, black folks trans and queer folks, people who are immigrants and without documentation, it's not that those people were not being denied care, because they certainly were for that entire 49-year period, Um, but we know that post-Dobbs, that state violence is really going to ramp up, and, you know, as Abby already said, we've seen, you know, just devastating losses um, for access to care, and... And there's this constellation of care that shouldn't have to fill these gaps, which are massive, um, but increasingly they are, and increasingly they're made of us, like we are the stars in this constellation. And there are these massive networks of practical support organizations that um, funds, you know, travel organizations, doula collectives, you know, indie clinics are like collaborating and co-creating this really beautiful future of independent care. Um, and so I think, you know, the reason I wrote this book, which also, by the way, I would not have been able to write without my abortion. So this book exists (laughs) because of my abortion and, um, the reason I wrote it is so that folks could kind of understand like, or hopefully just observe, you know, here's someone does not have a medical degree, uh, is not an attorney, certainly. (laughs) And does not really have any kind of institutional power, but is able to like do these small things to help people in her own communities have abortions. And that's something that increasingly, um, is not only possible, but is our responsibility. So I feel really strongly that we can each identify the reproductive justice needs of our own communities, and we can step up to fill those needs. And it doesn't have to mean having a lot of resources or a lot of money. Um, It doesn't have to mean taking like big, glamorous, dramatic risks with your safety. Um, There are just like, Infinite, infinite possible futures for your place in the movement, in a way that I think, you know, this moment is a gift in that way, because we really haven't seen that and we haven't been communicating on the level we are now. Um, and so that is something, you know, I really think in the grief is really beautiful and really. You know, something that a fellow doula recently said to me is, um, and she felt that it was cheesy, but also it's kind of what keeps her going every day is like, imagine you step onto a beach and there's someone walking next to you. And all down this beach, as far as you can see, are all these washed up starfish drying out in the sun and they're all dying. And you can only, you know, one by one, you're kind of picking them up and tossing them back into the sea. But there are so many, you couldn't count them. You will never get to them all. Many might wash back up, you know, whatever. And the person with you is like, what are you doing? This is pointless. And every starfish, you know, you're bending down and you're picking it up and throwing it back into the sea. And you're like, well, it wasn't pointless for that one. And I think, you know, every abortion that someone wants or needs that they are able to access And every time someone receives the abortion care they dream of, right, like not just legal, not just safe, like what is the abortion care we dream of? That is a starfish that is then, you know, once it's back in the ocean, it's creating new ecosystems. It's like feeding into this community and this circle, like every abortion counts. And maybe now more than ever, as individual abortions are kind of like- taking like huge, you know, communal pushes to (laughs) make them happen in some places. Um, So it's just something that, you know, there are so many resources I could go on and on, so many organizations that I've invested in and connected with that I don't think I would have as a cis white lady living in Maine, who my own access is pretty safe. My patients who I serve are you know, certainly relatively safe and able to get the abortion care they need. Um, You know, I think that this is the moment in which we can learn from the folks who were never protected under Roe v. Wade and the folks who have been kind of operating outside that framework forever because they've had to, because we've abandoned them and kind of marginalized them and left them to fend for themselves when it comes to accessing reproductive care um, and reproductive justice, which, you know, we've left them to parent and give birth and all these things outside of, you know, the protections that we may enjoy. And so I think that that is really, as I'm looking forward, you know, the court can abandon us. The states can abandon us, our governor can abandon us, but we are not gonna abandon each other. Um, and so that just is where I put my faith and that's where I put my work every day. So yeah, so I'm I'm happy to share like links to any resources if folks are looking to get involved in any of this work. Um, you know, there are, again, so many and it's so beautiful. Um, and there really is something for everyone to do, even if you feel exhausted and burnt out and broke and like there's nothing you can do, um, which I understand. That's how I feel about many things. That's how I feel about climate change. That's how I feel about many, many things. So I completely understand that feeling. Um, But I am here to tell you that you can do something and you can make You can change someone's life, you can create someone's future, you can help them protect their power and their joy, and that's everything, even if it's just one starfish. (laughs) So that's it. I will let folks know
1: I have some pre-prepared questions, but first I want to open if other folks have questions, and I see someone who unmuted themselves, so I will re-mute myself so you can ask your question, Lola.
2: I'm just wondering if Hannah could tell us a little more about what she does day to day, week to week, month to month as an abortion doula. Yeah, thank you for asking. So I have a million jobs um, (laughs) and, you know, I'm working four days a week. I work in a clinic. um, So I work, you know, kind of within the clinical setting, and that's kind of very regimented, and there are many boundaries in place as there should be um, between patients and healthcare providers. But then outside of those hours, um, when I'm working as a doula, you know, not to collapse the meaning of the word, but doula work can really look all kinds of ways depending on what someone needs and what someone wants. So often I'm helping someone find money, um, find funding for their abortion. I'm helping someone find transportation. Um, I'm giving them a ride to the clinic. I'm giving them a ride to the airport. Um, sometimes I'm providing childcare for their kids while they have their abortion or while they're recovering, um, from their medication abortion. Um, oh my gosh, I'm holding their hands during procedures. Um, I'm helping folks access pills if they're self-managing their abortions. So now, you know, you don't have to deal with a clinic at all um, often. And so I'm helping folks navigate that. Um, what have I done? I've I've mailed care packages. I've run to the store to get ginger ale. I've made meals. Um, I've helped someone kind of stay safe from an abusive partner and kind of like help them Uh, trying to what's a good word for it help them keep up a normal (laughs) normal looking routine from the outside as they were ending a pregnancy Um, that was secret and yeah I mean it really can look like so many things. And again, not to collapse the meaning of the word doula, um, but many folks don't even use that term. Um, They'll say companion or community care worker. Um, And really what a doula is in my, like, as I've been trained is you are a non-medical care provider. So really that means so many things. Um, You are just really providing sometimes physical, sometimes emotional, sometimes logistical, financial care for someone and support. Um, And yeah, that can look like so many different things, but I'll definitely, um, when you read the book, Lola, You'll have some more some more of an idea of what I'm doing that I'm not necessarily like talking about a lot. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for what you do every single day then, or every minute of every day. Um, you mentioned something that I thought you were saying that the governor is not supportive of abortions, and I thought Governor Mills was very supportive of keeping abortion clinics and everything open in Maine. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Um, Governor Mills has been a pretty fierce advocate um, for access to legal abortion in Maine. Yeah. So I think there is kind of a difference in Maine, at least, and folks at Mabel's can speak to this, obviously, um, as well. But there has been kind of a discrepancy between what the law allows and what um, providers and clinics in Maine actually provide. Um, But I do, really exciting, I'm sure you've all seen the recent news that we might be losing our viability standard and limitation and we might be expanding and there might be Maine might be an all-trimester haven, which would be really really exciting. Um, fingers crossed. So yeah, when I if I um, if I said the word governor with a disdainful tone, uh, it was certainly just more general and more um, some of the governors who have really. Uh, really have a lot to answer for uh (laughs) in the past 49 50 years and beyond but no i was not talking about governor mills specifically thank you for clarifying
1: um i will give a little context for folks who maybe aren't as aware i feel like at this point probably we've all seen stuff about it it's been very much on the news um it was in the most recent email you got about this event Um, which I hope you read. Uh, But we are seeing some legislation already proposed to be looked at this legislative session, like Hannah mentioned, one that would um, remove gestational limits so folks can access the care they need locally um, and they won't have to travel out of state, which is really important. And then there's three other bills um, that we know very definitively of that would also you know put in further protections around abortion care like for example making it so a town city or municipality can't ban abortion there um that is a tactic we've seen uh come up in some other states but haven't seen happen in maine um there are more details about that available on our website in the advocacy section um But yeah there is a lot happening we will probably see a lot more stuff with this upcoming legislation or legislative session we will have to see as it develops um i want to give folks a sec if anyone else has a question they're ready to ask otherwise i can read one of mine i have ready no one has jumped to unmute themselves so i will go um so you mentioned a little bit about you know folks who if they like want to get involved But it's easy to feel overwhelmed. Um, You also mentioned how a little bit about how there's different roles, like how what your role is. Um, So, for those folks who are newer and they're feeling really overwhelmed, what can you give some more specifics about recommendations of where they can start?
2: Yeah, definitely. So I think a great place to start is to really get curious about the actual experiences of people who are having abortions, which I think is something that's often missing um, kind of deliberately from the conversation, right, as it's playing out on a big political field or a big media landscape. and so organizations like We Testify are really wonderful um, for kind of actually like getting a taste of all these individual abortion stories and how how complex they are and how like some tiny thing could have completely changed this person's life um, in any direction. And I think then also just looking to how folks can get involved. It's just a matter of, you know, I'm a really big proponent of fight with the tools that are uniquely yours. So if you're someone who's like in data science and you love spreadsheets, like there, you could be, um, the digital defense fund has a thing called digital clinic escorts. Um, So if you really rather not be out on the sidewalk, you know, actually (laughs) in front of the lovely protesters or just kind of, you know, it doesn't feel safe or for whatever reason that's not your thing, you can really do a lot of that kind of advocacy online just simply with like data maintenance and collection. Um, Another thing that I think is a really great place to start, especially if, you know you don't have the funds you don't have the money to necessarily be giving like regular donations um to funds or to you know indie clinics through keep our clinics and abortion care network and all these things is just to talk about abortion and especially if you've had abortions um, or if you are feeling like the way abortion is discussed in your community is not in touch with the realities as you know them to be like, just to get comfortable talking about abortion. And even, you know, if you're at a dinner and you are someone who like me, you have relative kind of social currency and safety. um, You know, you're white, you are of a certain socioeconomic status, you are credentialed in these ways that like, people might respect or like legitimize um just to say you know oh i've had one baby and one abortion or oh i had a medication abortion it was different for my in-clinic abortion like this and just you know for the 10 people or five people who leave that dinner or that gathering and think like oh that's weird like this person seems to have the same cultural background and values as me but they were talking about abortion, like it's not shameful and secret and embarrassing and illegal and criminal. Like that's so strange. And then that opens a door and a window. And just, I think that is a really, it sounds like simple and like nothing, but it can be really difficult and really awkward. Um, and it can be everything. So even just wearing a shirt like this, people ask all the time, like, Oh, what's that website? Like, what is that? Um, And I think even a lot of people who consider themselves to be pro-choice or pro-abortion, you would be stunned at how much they don't know about what's happening right now and how not curious they are. Because again, who has time and energy to just be curious about all these like (laughs) catastrophes playing out? Um, And so often if you are just kind of the gateway for someone to think like, oh yeah, and did you know that there's the National Network of Abortion Funds? And did you know that in Maine, we have the safe fund and you can give to them and you can, you know, just like be that person who kind of, they can go to and ask questions um, and be that person who they feel safe to say like, hey, I am pregnant and I can't be, or like, hey, my, my daughter's college roommate, Um, is not sure, you know, what she wants to do. And I'm wondering if you have any resources for her because her parents don't know and it's illegal in the state where she's from, you know, things like that, um, becoming that person can be really crucial. Thank you. Um, I
1: want to open up for questions or thoughts from other folks before I go to one of my other pre-prepared questions. Hi there. Um, sorry, I can't camera on right now. I'm You're driving. Um, <laughs> I'm a medical student, and so hopefully going into the field soon. Um, I was wondering how we connect folks with your services, um, whether they're in or near the Bangor area um, or kind of anywhere in Maine. Um, a quick clarifying question with connecting with our services, are you talking about Hannah's abortion doula services or Mabel Wadsworth Center services? I've actually sent quite a few patients up towards Mabel Wadsworth. So I was hoping to hear from Hannah. Thank you. Oh,
2: yay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I assumed you were talking about Mabel's. Um, yeah. So I, on my website, um, I think I actually took it down, but I'm going to put it back up. I have an encrypted email. Um And encrypted end-to-end meaning like, it's not like Gmail, um, the emails will disappear. So someone can reach out to me. It's very, very secure and private. Um, And then I also have a number on Signal, which is an encrypted chat service. Um, So I'm happy to share those with you, Emma, um, or anyone who really reaches out to me kind of privately, like in a DM situation, um, I'll chat you privately, Emma. But yeah, I'm still, I'm going back and forth on um, what is safest for, not for me, but for the people who reach out um, because unfortunately uh, these laws are doing what they were designed to do, which is cause kind of chaos and confusion. And also we know that um, cops do what they want, prosecutors do what they want. And so even if someone is reaching out in a fully, legally, uh, sanctified way, or, you know, someone is not breaking any laws. Um, they still can have their devices searched and all of that. Right now our neighbor is doing a thing for Mabel (laughs) Wadsworth. Um, so yeah, so a long, long answer to a short question, but Emma, I will send you a private message with my contact information. And that's something that a lot of, um, doulas and companions and sort of collectives outside of the clinical, um, settings are troubleshooting right now in terms of just keeping the abortion seekers safe, um, and also being available to them and welcoming and affirming any questions and any communication that needs to come in.
1: Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. I feel like that's another just great opportunity to shout out, shout out Hannah's shirt, which benefits and I need an a.com, which is a really great online resource. Um, for folks who are trying to like seek abortion care um like i've gone in there before just to check out the website and it's so handy because like as someone who lives in the bangor area i could put in info and it's like hey your closest clinic is maples and it will guide you only to real clinics and not to any fake clinics um, i do want to again see if i have folks who have uh questions before i read one of my pre-prepped ones. I will read my question because everyone's still muted. Um, So obviously you talked about how because of the laws we have in Maine, um, you know, since the Dobbs decision, since we lost Roe as sort of the like, quote unquote, law of the land um, that, you know, folks are still able to get abortions in Maine um you know we are not in a situation like Texas is um but what are things that you are there things that you expected to change that didn't and are there things that did change that you weren't expecting like are there things basically that have been a surprise um since Roe was overturned um And that could be around like actual access that could be around like communication you're getting from patients, Um, whatever, whatever makes sense for you.
2: Yeah. So I think one thing that was a little bit unexpected immediately following Dobbs was, and again, it shouldn't be unexpected, but how confused and how afraid Mainers were. And, you know, I was getting calls at the clinic where I work Patients asking us to destroy their records, patients, you know, just really afraid. And again, that's what these laws are designed to do. And they've been written, many of them have been written so aggressively. And so like the enforcement mechanisms are wildly unconstitutional, but also like terrifying, like the aid and abet statutes and the, you know, neighbors surveilling each other and all these things that... I think even people in Maine who are relatively, you know, very protected from these kinds of bans and restrictions were feeling just really afraid. Um, So that was more than I expected. Um, I knew we would have patients start to come in from out of state, which we have, and You know, again, that is often those are the patients who can afford to come, um, you know, Texas to Maine, Missouri to Maine, Florida to Maine. Those are not easy trips um, by any means. But, and I think I've also been a little surprised by how unprepared um, many of the big, like, war horses of our movement were, um, because I felt like, you know, this has been coming for a long time. Um, and just this like kind of scrambling to figure out what we were going to do, I think felt, I think a lot of folks felt like, okay, we really should have been (laughs) prepared for this and we really should be, You know, this is not the time to be cowardly, basically. And this is not the time to be conservative um, when it comes to, you know, protecting our resources. So that has been, I think, tough. And I think, um, again, things are, I was saying before the conversation, like many folks in our movement, we're in fight or flight, right? We're really exhausted. We're really traumatized. We're really afraid. you know, the threat of incarceration and criminalization is real and especially for providers and people have a lot to lose. Um, And so that has been tricky to navigate, I think, in some unexpected ways.
1: I will say one thing around the, you know, folks in Maine being really confused about, you know, have, have they lost their rights? That is something that we definitely saw as well Um, you know, from folks getting care with our clinic. Um, And I feel like that really demonstrates the way that news reporting does not always do a good job of differentiating between like national and local and what actual local impacts are. So this is my like PSA to everyone who is here today is when scary news comes up if you're able to try to dig to the root of that so that you can provide better information to folks in your community um you know because I had that understanding I was able to assuage and I'm sure the same is true for you Hannah um you know I was able to assuage a lot of folks like personal friends of mine's like fear of oh my gosh like is abortion illegal in Maine now like what's going to happen to your job and I'm like I'm fine It's okay. Um, Yes, that's my little PSA. Um, And I want to, again, open up to questions
2: from folks. Yeah, Lola. I have a very basic question, and it's really for all of you who are participating. I think that among anti-abortion people, there's a significant portion of people who just believe because it's clear and simple that life begins at conception anything else is murder and I'm wondering about people's thoughts about how to start a conversation from there so I actually I have some thoughts about this but I'm I don't want to talk too much and like monopolize so if other folks have thoughts they want to reply with they can go first
1: Hannah, this is your event to speak. I want you to go first um, and I am
2: happy to add on after. Yeah. Okay. So I think a lot of things, right? I think that this is something that has been really effectively weaponized against us, you know, in many ways. I think it's really increased stigma and shame and it's really also made us feel really constricted in the stories we tell about our own abortions, like my abortion, I experienced as a loss of life and I experienced it with a lot of grief and a lot of mourning, you know, the child that could have resulted from that pregnancy, but I'm alive and my son is alive also. (laughs) And we are, more alive and were more alive um than the five to six week old embryo or fetus that you know I released when I ended my pregnancy. Um and I don't I think that anyone who tells you or anyone who tells themselves that it's a strict binary between not alive and alive is being disingenuous. And I think they're manipulating other people because I think, you know, there's like that example and I'm sure you all have heard this of like, you know if someone who believes that life begins at conception is in a fertility clinic and it's on fire, and there's a canister of 500 fertilized embryos. And then there is a crying five-year-old child. Who will you save from the fire? And you know the answer because you you know the nuances in, like, the range of life and, like, the spectrum of life. And so I think that, you know, we've seen just recently at um, – the March for life that was happening this weekend. And, you know, this huge anti-abortion gathering um, this woman gave a speech and she talked about a mother who had decided to die in childbirth with her fourth child rather than to end the pregnancy. And everyone cheered because to them, this is pro-life. And so I think what I have found really effective (laughs) for myself in these conversations. And sometimes, right. It's not worth your, like if it's just academic to somebody else and to you, it's like you're debating your right to exist. That's not worth it. But often, you know, it's been really effective for me to say like, okay, well, even though you feel this, embryo or fetus has a heartbeat and even if it's I'm telling you it's not a heartbeat it's electrical impulses but even let's say it is a heartbeat I also have a heartbeat and all of the people in my family have heartbeats and like the loss of mine would create ripples of like suffering and loss and scarcity and you know neglect and abandonment that the loss of this other, what you conceive of to be a heartbeat simply won't. And so I think it can be really difficult, right? To argue that point. And I want people to be able to say, if they feel, you know, as a, I'm a counselor on a text line for folks who need emotional support after their abortions. And all the time I get messages saying, I murdered my baby. I killed my child. And that is how they're experiencing their abortion. That is how they feel. And sometimes it's something that can be kind of unraveled for them. And they can kind of like process, oh, why do I feel that way? What messages have I received that make me put that language to it? But that's not really how I'm experiencing it. And sometimes they truly do feel that. They feel that it is a death of a child. And that's valid because that is their abortion and that is their experience and their pregnancy. So I think it's not always useful and sometimes in fact can be kind of harmful to people who have abortions to say like, that's not true. Life doesn't begin at conception. Like that pregnancy is not a life. Um, Because, you know, human bodies and lives and brains like are so much more complicated than that and so much more nuanced. I do think though it's worth interrogating anyone who's using that as a reason that we should not be allowed to uh, have control over our own pregnancies or as a reason that the state should maintain control of our pregnancies through violence and incarceration, I think it's worth um, (laughs) going down that road with them because often they're just sloganeering. They're just repeating a slogan. They don't, they, they have not thought that through. Um I also think, Lola, there's a lot of really beautiful spiritual resources and religious resources that can help folks who come at you with that line, especially if it's coming from a place of religious ideology. Um, and so I'm happy to share those in the chat as well, or, um, you know, later the Mabel's folks can send those out. But that can be really helpful because like in Judaism, for example, their conception of <laughs> conception and <laughs> life is very similar to the kind of line that the Catholic church is trying to follow when they make this argument, but, um, you know, they don't land on. And so abortion is unholy and evil. Like, so it's, yeah, I think it's something that has been really effective and it's really powerful obviously in like getting people very angry about abortion and very upset because of course who, (laughs) who is pro-murdering babies, no one. And so they know that this is a way to really like manipulate folks' emotions and like really basic primal instincts. But again, I would argue that they know that is disingenuous because imagine... A friend comes to you and says, oh, you know what? Like, I'm really ashamed to tell you this. And this is like a big secret. And I feel so much remorse about this. But when I was 19, I had an abortion. And then imagine a friend comes to you and says, oh, you know what? This is really, I feel a big shame about this and a lot of remorse. But um, when I was 19, I murdered a 10-year-old child. Your reactions are going to be different. (laughs) Like, you know, abortion is normal. It is... It can be a loss like miscarriage, um, like other pregnancy outcomes. It can be a loss of life and experience that way. But it is a normal part of a reproductive life. It is not committing an act of violence. Um, So yeah, I'm sorry. Again, I feel like that was a very long answer to a very short question.
1: (laughs) I think it was very good. And I have a couple things um, that I think are important to add on. Um, You sort of started to get into this about how that argument is used as like a type of messaging. It's really important to know that the like the religious specifically christian (laughs) argument against abortion of life begins at conception um did not start being used as an argument until really like roe became the law of the land prior to that there was a lot more just open like we don't believe in people who can get pregnant having autonomy over their bodies so like that sort of argument is newer um, as a reason to oppose abortion access um additionally and again you know hannah you touched on this with the like you know container of fertilized embryos versus like a crying five year old who would you save um you know, one of the things that I will say sometimes when I'm doing workshops with folks with talking about abortion is that, you know, I'm not particularly invested in whether a fetus has fingernails or a heartbeat or a mortgage. Um, your right to your body is yours regardless. If I need a kidney transplant and Hannah has the only kidney in the whole world that will keep me alive i do not have a right to that kidney if and again the debate of you know it's not a black and white is it alive is it not alive um my personal perspective is that it does not particularly matter because a living person also does not have the right to use our body um and within the whole like, you know, whether or not a pregnancy is a living thing, um, you know, that being a spectrum, I have known folks who they, you know, had an abortion and for them it was not alive. It was just like, nope, this was just like this was a fertilized egg that I needed to not be in my body for some people. Like Hannah mentioned, that can be like a real loss. I've also known people who had planned pregnancies, who gave birth, and from their personal perspective, they did not have a baby until it was in their arms. Um, so whether or not a fetus is alive is really dependent on the individual pregnant person Um to reference the quote Hannah said at the beginning or a thing you said that I have put in quotation marks, I'm not an expert on any abortion except my own. Um, and the same is true of like how a pregnant person relates to the pregnancy. Um, we are close on time. I do want to see if we have questions from anyone else. I'll ask a quick one when you may- Mentioned something about the
2: legislation. Are any of these bills or things coming up in the next week or two that we need to get right on?
1: There's nothing that is that uh, time sensitive, urgent. Um, I know that for folks who are on the Mabels email list, um, we will be giving updates if there are like things to really keep an eye on. We'll also share information on our social media. Um, But right now, any of the legislation, um, there's nothing that is that. Uh, time-sensitive? That is a really good question. Thank you for that, because um, legislative stuff is weird, and the timeline is
0: weirder and confusing. Hey, uh, so this is just a question for Hannah, and I don't believe you You touched on this, but sometimes I kind of go in and out of <laughs> listening, but... Um... How did you, like, did you start as like a birth doula? Did you start as a postpartum doula or did you kind of like, how exactly did you get into your niche of abortion um, doula?
2: Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, so I started as a clinic worker um, and I didn't even know that abortion doulas were a thing. When I heard the word doula, I only thought of childbirth. Um And I knew that birth doula was not really something that could fit into my life. Um, It certainly is not. Now I have a two year old, I can't really do like on call, you know, three day stints at the hospital, things like that. Um, But abortion doula is much more, um, it's much more fluid in that, you know, you again can be supporting someone through different stages of their abortion um, in these very kind of mundane ways that fit into your life often. Um, And so I, I was a clinic worker and I kind of saw the ways in which I was bumping up against the limitations of that. Like I couldn't give someone a ride home. I couldn't, you know, for good reason, I couldn't pay for someone's abortion when they came into the clinic and they couldn't pay and the fund couldn't cover it, um, things like that. And I really thought like, this can't be. It. Like this can't be the limits. I can't be hitting the ceiling of the care I can provide. Um, and then I found an incredible organization called DOPO, which means after. Um, and it is really about abortion companionship and it's a cooperative um, and it trains people in all these different countries with all these different legal landscapes. Um, And so they trained me. And then I also was trained through an organization called Birthing Advocacy Doula Trainings, which has um, full spectrum. So birth Abortion, miscarriage, postpartum, stillbirth, everything. Um, And they have a specific abortion doula training. And so that's how I got started.
1: That's a really good question because, I mean, yeah, when it comes to being in this work, there are a lot of different ways and a lot of different roles. So really a lot of different ways to get involved. We are at time. Um, So we are going to wrap up so folks can get back to the rest of their Sunday afternoon um thank you all for joining us um very glad to have you um and i hope that everyone is taking care of themselves and doing what they can to take care of their communities in in this really weird time (laughs) thank you all